Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode 88 of the Talking Friars podcast. Your host, Ben Fadden, here today with a special guest, David Sampson, former president of the Miami Marlins. Well, I am Florida Marlins, too. Uh, how are you doing, David? Thank you so much for hopping on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. It's good to talk some baseball. Yeah, very fun. Uh, hopefully this lockout can, uh, you know, stop soon. Uh, I'm a little bit skeptical of that, uh, but before getting to the Padres, I think that there's some questions that some uh, baseball fans might be interested in. So I just wanted to ask, just obviously with your Marlins background, first, you know, you were fired in 2017 when that new ownership uh, came in. That was done, at least from what I've read, uh, that you got a phone call from Derek Jeter uh, after you received a notification on your phone about it. Are you kind of still frustrated with how that whole thing went about and do you did you think that it was a little disrespectful of them to not do it you know face to face i i actually don't think about it at all anymore i was in the game for 18 years i ran the expos for two years and the marlins for 16 years i have a great world series ring there's a great ballpark in miami hosted an all-star game lost 100 games traded away players signed players Really had a great career, and I love what I'm doing now. So I have no problem with what happened. I always thought that I was only, you know, when you run a team, you're really just doing it for a small period of time in the life of a team. So I was pretty honored to have done it as long as I did. And no, I really don't think about Derek Jeter much. I watch from afar as he runs the team. He's run it for four years now. And uh, 
all of the issues that he has sort of make me smile. I could have predicted all of them, that's for sure. But in terms of feeling disrespected or respected, as I say on my show, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Okay. Uh, do you – now, in terms of the moves that they made and when they came in, getting rid of Giancarlo, uh, you know, Yelich, Real Muto, pretty much everyone, do you wish that they tried to stick with that group together uh, a little bit longer? No. I actually knew that they were going to have to trade them because I knew that financially they wouldn't be able to keep the payroll where it was. And frankly, we had that group together for a very long time, and we could never get them to win more than 81 games. So it's not like uh, they broke up the 27 Yankees or the defending champions, and they did what they thought was right. As you know, the way Derek Jeter's run the Marlins, he basically blamed everything on me. Uh, every problem with the ballpark, every problem with fans, every problem with the on t- with the on field performance was my fault. But now that it's been four years, he's got to find some someone else to blame, because the fans and the media certainly don't want to hear that anymore. Uh, his his go to line used to be, "We had a lot of work to do when we bought this franchise. We had to start over, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I never got offended by any of it. It made me smile, and uh, he has proven that uh, it it I certainly wasn't the problem. Okay. Um, next question here with uh, involving Barry Bonds. Obviously, he was on the on the staff for one year, uh, served as a hitting coach there. You've been quoted saying that he would sleep in the clubhouse. Uh, he wouldn't pay attention during games. So I'm just curious if, you know, obviously that was happening. Why didn't the organization let him go earlier? Uh, because our owner, Jeffrey Loria, wanted him hired and did not want him fired. So he was the choice of Jeffrey to be the hitting coach, so there was no doubt he was going to get the job. We convinced Don Mattingly to allow him to be hired, and uh, there was there's nothing Don could do. There was nothing I could do. When an owner wants to do something at some point, you try to help the owner as much as you can, but you know very well with the team that you are uh, a fan of that very often the owner will step in and make decisions, and when that happens, you just hope they work out, and you hope when they don't work out, you can get out of it quickly. So as far as I was concerned, we got out of it quickly. He was there for one year, and it was very clear from day one that it wasn't going to work. But we let the year happen, and then we moved on. Mm-hmm. Now, I also saw a story involving Barry where he left the clubhouse while D. Gordon was uh, apologizing to the team for his use of uh, steroids. Are there any other wacky kind of Barry stories that you haven't told yet? Because... It, to me, it just seems like that year, uh, just to say, I guess, nicely, uh, did not work out well. Well, that was the year that Jose died. So yeah. there was tragedy mm-hmm. that year. Uh, that was a team that was performing well, and and we really had a chance. We just couldn't get it together, and we thought we were in a really good position for the following season, for sure. And then when the tragedy happened, that changed the course of history for the Marlins, Obviously, more importantly, it changed the course of a life of an unborn child and of an entire family. But uh, as far as Barry's concerned, I I sort of want to be clear with you that as a man, uh, I enjoyed talking to him. I didn't enjoy him as a hitting coach. I think that what you're talking about with D. Gordon is we were in the clubhouse in Los Angeles, and D. Gordon was apologizing for getting caught doing steroids, and Barry stormed out and made it about himself and the irony of that is quite obvious to right. everybody. And uh, I, I think that it's very hard to be a good hitting coach. You're seeing now only six years later, 
that teams have two hitting coaches, not just a main coach and an assistant head hitting coach. There's two actual hitting coaches for most teams. It's a huge job. There's a lot of information to get to hitters. It's a complicated job. It's not just putting on your uniform and throwing out a bag of balls and saying, go get them. And when, you're, when you've when you been a really good player, and, and even before steroids, Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame player, and uh, it can be very difficult when you see something and try to understand why another player doesn't see what you see. It's hard to explain if you're Barry Bonds how to hit. It's hard to teach if you're Barry Bonds others how to hit because for you, you're so natural and you see the spin of the ball so much earlier than other players do. You have such an ability to be successful in a way that most players never will be that sometimes you just sit there and say, wow, I don't even know how to get this player better. He must stink. When the reality is your job as hitting coach is to work with all the players that we give you and make them better. And he just was not able to do that. Right. Um, Before we get to the Padres, I'm curious, since obviously you left Miami, um, have you received interest from other teams and have you thought about coming back into baseball? So I was in the game 18 years, so any interest that's come my way has been met with an immediate no, and the reason is that I love hosting Nothing Personal. I love working with CBS and wherever the show goes from here. It grows and grows and grows, and uh, I love CBS Sports HQ where I'm an MLB analyst, and we'll see where that goes. But there's really nothing left for me to accomplish after what I was able to do, and I love being on the other side and giving our audience an opportunity to – hear from someone who doesn't want to get back into the game. Because the problem with people on the air today is anyone who's had the experience that I've had, they're not willing to talk about it. They're not willing to teach anyone or let anyone behind the the, the curtain because they feel as though they'll upset someone or they won't get another offer. And I don't view that it, it that way at all because I don't want another offer. I don't need another offer, and I would not take another offer. And obviously, never say never, but never. So I go ahead every day for 45 minutes and give people an idea of of what it's like and and let people ask questions and try to educate people, and I love it. So uh, we're going to keep going. All right. Um, Now, I'm curious, now moving a little bit to the Padres here, you, I'm sure, were involved in, you know, managerial hirings and all that. Uh, Could you take us through kind of what that process is like with the interviews and what uh, the Padres hiring of Bob Melvin may have, you know, looked like. So there's two types of hires in Major League Baseball. There is the owner telling you to hire someone, and then there is the hiring process where you really don't know who you're going to hire. You interview, you bring in people, you bring in people who you've come into contact with throughout your years in the game. You bring in people who your GM has come into contact or your VP of player personnel has come into contact, or even your head of player development has come into contact, you decide what kind of manager you're looking for. Are you looking for one with experience? You're looking for someone who's new and green who can grow with your team. You look for a manager who is going to be a player's manager, or you look for a manager who's going to be a disciplinarian and a conduit to the front office. You look for a manager who's going to play the players you tell them to play without giving you a hard time. So you know what you're looking for when you go in. They walk in. You know, Theo Epstein famously interviewed Joe Girardi for like nine hours one time. 
and I laughed at that on Nothing Personal because there is no reason for a nine-hour interview. You're not interviewing for a spouse or a friend. It's not Match.com. You are looking to see if someone has the ability to work with the front office, to work with players who has the acumen both on and off the field because managers are half baseball people and half sports psychologists, and you try to make the best hire you can. You try to talk to people about the person you're interviewing, like a Bob Melvin, for example. He's been around a long time. There's a lot of people who know him. There's a lot of players who have played for him. There's a lot of executives who have been around him. There's a lot of owners who have been around him. So you can get an idea of what that person's like. But at the end of the day, you never really know about any employee you hire until you hire them and live with them and work with them. And that's why so often you see these hirings made where everybody celebrates and then years later there's a firing because something didn't work out, whether it's winning on the field, whether it's the chemistry between the front office and the manager's office office, or the chemistry between the manager's office and the clubhouse. You can only know those things when you watch it. So I would spend a lot of time in the clubhouse, a lot of time with my managers, a lot of time with my players, just being around and learning and listening and talking and guiding and trying to be the best president I could be. Bob Melvin's a great hire by the Padres, but he is not going to change the personnel on the field. And that's where the Padres have a problem. Now, part of that problem, uh, Eric Hosmer, what are you, what is your views kind of on that deal? And, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, an owner maybe sometimes putting, you know, inserting themselves and telling a GM or a president of baseball ops what to, what player signing or manager hiring. Do you think that the Padres may be a Preller? I, I don't know this personally if Preller was totally all in on Hosmer or if that was more of an ownership thing just to put, you know, a face in the organization. Do you think that that front office maybe knew that this Hosmer thing wasn't going to work out? Uh, before that contract was even signed. Now, I'd like to bring your attention, please, if you don't mind, to when Eric Hosmer got signed. Uh, it was celebrated by fans of the Padres, yeah. right? Do you remember? Yep. He had yeah. won a World Series, and it was an exciting big free agent signing. The Padres are now going to compete with the Dodgers, and everything's going to be great. They can be as good as the Giants. So they have a great farm system, and – the reason why deals often don't work out long-term deals is that you end up paying more for past performance than future performance, and that's what happened with Eric. Uh, you paid for what he did, not for what he's going to do or will do or is doing for you. So that's not the reason. His contract is not the reason why the Padres have not been winning or why they won 79 games last year. Your ownership spends a lot of money, more money than they should, raising the payroll to levels that revenue does not support willing to lose money, which is a fool's game, in my opinion, to lose money. And I did it in probably 15 out of the 18 seasons. We lost money operationally. And it just feels terrible to have your owner write checks every year or take on more debt, and you're still not winning. So Hosmer himself does not embody the problem. I think the issue is the blind loyalty that the owners have to AJ. And I think that if you ask around the game, the majority of other GMs would tell you that a team with A.J. Preller as GM is likely not going to win for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which is the poor choice in players. Okay. Um, now, kind of getting to Preller, he made a hire in Jace Tingler a couple years ago. Did you 
kind of know, you know, right when that happened, that that probably wasn't the best signing when they had or hiring, excuse me, when they had uh, Ron Washington, you know, in the building, essentially. So I'm not sure Ron Washington would have been the answer either. I think that the problem is when when Jace was hired, I think the industry was skeptical because it seemed as though Preller was hiring his friend. Now, when LeBron brings in friends, sometimes the teams win, sometimes the team loses, right? So hiring a friend can be good, it can be bad, but what kind of manager were you looking for? What kind of manager does A.J. Preller want? Because who he has now is totally different from who he's ever had. So I can tell you if A.J. Preller walks into that clubhouse and starts talking to Bob Melvin about certain issues with players and lineups and all these other things that is very common now in the game, so I'm not in any way critiquing A.J. for having a say in what goes on on the field because that happens in just about every front office. But the reality is, like with a Bob Melvin or a Buck Showalter in New York right now, I can just picture Billy Epler walking in to talk to Buck Showalter about his lineup and Showalter saying, get the hell out of here. Leave me alone. I will do my job. Bob Melvin has earned that right with the success he's had. So there was a lot in in that hiring that is very interesting and out of character for A.J. Preller. So like I said, when you're bringing in a manager and you've had a player's manager and it doesn't work, you bring in a disciplinarian. When you've had a disciplinarian and that doesn't work, you bring in a player's manager who eases up on the rules, who lets players dress up or dress down or just changes sort of the chemistry, changes the, the tone of the clubhouse. Bob Melvin comes in with a career's worth of respect. He comes in having won at the highest level with the lowest payrolls. So if you are the Padres owners, if you allowed the hiring of Bob Melvin, what you're really saying is, AJ, get out of the way and let Bob Melvin do his job because there's no more hiding for AJ. If the Padres win 79 games again next year, you know, even though unbeknownst to me or anyone in the game why he keeps getting extensions, it's going to be hard to argue that Melvin will be the next one fired in that front office. The odds are it's going to be AJ. Yeah. And what I would say, though, you know, in return with that about, you know, AJ getting extension at the time that he did, you know, they made the playoffs. I know it was a shortened year. And I know that right now the farm system doesn't look, you know, great. Uh, But at the same time, he did bring in Manny, you know, Tatis, that trade that's big, obviously, is the franchise cornerstone. The Grisha move has worked out a little bit. I know Myers that didn't, hasn't really worked out as well as they'd liked. Uh, but the moves that he's made improved the rotation. The Musgrove deal looks really good right now. Jake Cronenworth. Uh, so he has he's made moves. I know that the big moves, you know, the Hosmer obviously is going to be, you know, resume defining at least, you know, in the Padres tenure. But I think he has done, you know, he's done enough right now, I would say, to – deserve an extension but like I mentioned I agree with you and I you can elaborate more on this do you really believe that if he doesn't you know win next year or two years from now if he will still have that job oh I guarantee you if the Padres miss the playoffs for the next two years AJ Preller will not be the GM I get it's not even it's I'll put it as a wait to see on my show, which I do when I say something's going to happen and then I revisit it. And if it happens, I revisit it. If it doesn't happen, I still revisit it. 
If they have two more losing seasons where they don't make the playoffs, uh, he won't be there. Making the playoffs in 20, it's like what the Marlins did. It's nice. You had a nice 60-game stretch, but 162 is far different than 60. And what AJ's done a lot of is gotten the owner's confidence and signed a bunch of players, but then traded them. And listen, I did that too, so I'm not critiquing that as a philosophy. I just learned over time that winning the offseason means nothing. It feels so good during the winter meetings to have press conferences. It feels so good to make trades and to bring in and hand a uniform over and take a photo and get everyone excited. But at the end of the day, winning the offseason is not correlated in any way to winning in October. And right now, the Padres are just about out of excuses. They've got to win. And I will also say that the Manny Machado deal, uh, that was just a straight overpay. There was no other team offering Machado. The reason he signed with San Diego, as you recall, he took the stage and Manny said, I chose the Padres because I studied their farm system and I like their farm system. And that was just a bunch of horse hockey. He got the highest offer from the Padres by a lot. He wanted the 30 AAV. He got it. He signed immediately. The farm system could have been you and me and, and Dopey makes three, and he would have signed that deal. And when you put a group of players together the way that they have, and you can say that acquiring Darvish and Snell, etc., but I'll tell you, you trade with Tampa, you're going to lose the majority of the time. Blake Snell has not been who they needed him to be, who they thought he could be. And Darvish is Darvish, but has not shown that he can lead a rotation through October I think it's just going to be tough. And when you're in a division the way the Padres are, you have to really think to yourself, and this is how we would do it. We have to make up 27 games on the Dodgers, right? How do we do that? Remember, they won 106 games, and the Padres won 79. Now, I don't expect the Giants to win 107 next year, not even close. So if I'm the Padres, I'm saying, listen, the Giants will come back to earth. We're better than they are. The question is, can we catch the Dodgers? We thought we could. I'm not going to worry about Colorado and Arizona. So I could sneak in as a wild card. There's going to be expanded playoffs, 14 teams for sure. So that means an extra wild card or two. So I like our chances. So I understand what San Diego's doing and why they're doing it. It makes total common sense. I'm not sure it makes fiscal sense. But will it lead to wins? That's the expectation. Remember, going into 21, I don't know what your expectation was, but most Padres fans assumed they would be competing for the division and certainly making the playoffs as a wild card. If not, they won 79 games. Yeah, and I do want to get back to that Manny discussion that you were kind of talking about there, talking about how it was you know, a big overpay and all that. I'm not really on that side of it being a huge overpay. Like what if Manny's contract was an overpay, what the heck was, you know, the Corey Seager contract this off season, you know, what was, and Manny, you saying at the press conference, Manny, you know, studying the farm system and all that. Well, at the time the farm system was really strong. They had, they had it headlined by Fernando coming up and you can't tell me that that was, uh, you know, a bad decision on Manny's part to come no. in. No no, 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 no. I didn't say that. No, no, no. I know. No, I know. Yeah. I'll rephrase that just to, you know, like to say that, or kind of like hint that Manny, that's what it felt like was that Manny made like one of like a, a, a dis uh, uneducated like decision when 
just signing let, for let the money. Stop you and, let me stop you and help you. There's not one player over my 18 years, not one player who studied the farm system and made a decision to sign or not sign because of a farm system. That does right. not exist. If you asked Manny with truth serum why he signed with the Padres, it's not because of Tatis. It's not because of the weather in San Diego, which is the best in the country, or the district or the ballpark, which I love. I love everything about San Diego. He signed with Miami, with San Diego because they offered him the most money and the most years, period. That's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's one of a million players who do that. That's how it works, and I don't blame them. So Manny made the right decision because that was his best offer. What I was telling you is that to say, do you remember a guy named Mike Hampton? Probably before your time, Mike Hampton was a pitcher who pitched for uh, a bunch of teams, and he signed a free agent contract with the Colorado Rockies in 2000 and something. And he said, I signed with the Rockies because my wife and I, we love the school system in Denver. And we all laughed at that in the industry because the Rockies overpaid him by so much he would have signed with the Iowa Cubs if they had offered him that amount. So all I ask of the players to do, or for anyone to do, just be honest. And there are players who do it. Andrew McCutcheon, when he signed for the Phillies, he said, hey, they offered me the most money. That was awesome. I'm a Philly. And there would have been no problem of Manny saying that, but just don't say you studied the farm system. Well, can you at least, can you admit that the farm system was strong though at the time that he did sign? And the farm system is still strong. So we don't also executives don't read Baseball America and MLB.com list of top thirty prospects. We have our own list of top thirty. We keep a list of our top thirty and of other teams' top thirty, and we do not pay attention one second to all the people who do those lists because none of them are in the game. They all want to be in the game, but they're not in the game. Everyone's got a blog or a or a or a magazine they write for or a website. But actual real life, not fantasy, real life general managers, president of baseball operations, team presidents, don't pay attention to any of that. So the Padres, whether they had a farm, great farm system or not, you can look at their young players and say, yeah, you know, they really have a good farm system. Or look what they were able to do with trades to use some of that capital to get performing major league players. There's all sorts of things that we use and ways that we use to evaluate a farm system. And it's not based on rankings. It's based on what pieces can be put together to make a puzzle on the major league side, not on the minor league side. Mm. Uh, Talking about A.J. Preller here still, um, what can you tell me kind of about how he is? In, uh, during deals, during transactions, I know the Marlins and Potters have had some in the past with Rodney and the Chris Paddock deal. Uh, what what is he like, you know, in transactions, just kind of behind the scenes? So he is a deal maker, and there are some GMs who you don't want to deal with because they just are big talkers and they really can't get to the finish line. It's hard for them to consummate a transaction. AJ has no problem consummating transactions. He's very firm on what he wants and he's very open about what he's willing to give to get what he wants. So that was not the issue. I certainly had an issue with him lying about Colin Ray and about the medical records. And I certainly could tell you things that go on there from the international side and, and the medical record side and all sorts of reasons why other GMs do not necessarily hold him in high regard. And it's because they've dealt with him, not that they've read about him. They actually have dealt with him. So again, I take it 
far more seriously when people with whom I work, who I actually know, say things versus someone in the media or a fan or, or anything like that. Or, or it, so from AJ's standpoint, the issue that GMs have with him in general is that he believes that he's the smartest person in every room he's in. And the problem with that is if you are the smartest person, you don't have to say it. People just know it. And if you're not, then it's best to not say anything at all. And so during transactions or just during conversations at the winter meetings or whatnot, is that's how he would act? Like he would, that's... You know, I, 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 I'm not going to do a personality Rorschach test on, on him. I can only say that we knew what we were dealing with when we were dealing with him. We dealt with him because there's only 29 other people you can deal with. And so you never shut out anybody, no matter what you feel about them professionally or personally. We always did our homework and did deals that we thought were best for us. I don't regret the Rodney deal for one second, trying to win with Rodney in 2016. He was lights out for the Padres. Mm-hmm. Our baseball people had Paddock as a 4-5 or five starter, and we were willing to trade a 4-5 or five starter in order to get a second closer. And Rodney just couldn't get anyone out for the Marlins, and then Jose died, and it was just – we didn't make the playoffs. It was just a, a tragic year. But I don't look at that trade as a failure for the for the Marlins at all. Nor do I look at that trade as a huge success for the Padres. While having Chris Paddock as your starter still this many years later, that's great because Rodney was going to be a free agent. So they did the right business move. When you've got a free agent to be and you're not going anywhere, you need to move that player so you can get something back. Whether it's a draft pick, whether it's a young pitcher, whether it's a young position player, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But all GMs, from A.J. Preller to Theo to Andrew Friedman, every single one of them have trades that they've gotten right and have trades that they've gotten wrong. Every single one of them have signings they've gotten right and signings they've gotten wrong. But the media and fans tend to only look at positives for some guys and negatives for others. But inside the game, we always keep track, and there's not one GM ever who's gotten it all wrong or all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any possible trades that were discussed that just didn't hit the, you know, finish line uh, with the Padres in your tenure? Oh, many. But, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you specifics because I can confidently say with 100% certainty that we had trade discussions with every one of the other 29 teams that did not happen. That's the that's what you do when you are running a team is you are presenting options to other teams, whether it's during the winter meetings or the GM meetings or on a random Tuesday when your team is visiting that team or when they're visiting you. You talk about the needs of your team and the needs of their team, and you see if there's a match. So there's talking that goes on all year long between all 30 teams. Mm-hmm. Now, moving – well, staying with the current team – after the lockout, there's probably going to be a big, you know, scramble uh, of additions and teams, you know, mapping out. Well, they, they're mapping out plans right now. But where if the Padres do get a power hitting outfielder and they have a choice between Chris Bryant and Nick Nicholas Castellanos, who would you rather see them get? Well, you know, my answer, right? My answer is depends on money. So mm-hmm. if Chris Bryant is going to want a contract like Machado, you don't he's not a 30 million dollar player. Chris Bryant's agent will tell you he's a 25 to 30 million dollar player. The, he, the 
Chris Bryant's agent will say, look what he did with the Giants. That's the MVP, Chris Bryant. But the fact is his numbers are trending the wrong way. And that type of commitment is just not worth it, especially when you look at the position player commitments that the Padres already have. So I believe that they should go for a deal that has fewer years, not more, because you don't want to tie yourself up with too many deals going forward three years, four years, five years, six years, because all of a sudden you've got a healthy amount of payroll tied up in only a few players, and there's always going to be the next guy. So it's great that Tatis is signed. You've got him. But guess what? You've got to surround him. It's not like the NBA where if you sign a big player, you're going to guarantee the playoffs, and you can put together a big three, and you're going to have success in June. As we've seen, you don't have to look any further than right down the road from you in Los Angeles with the Anaheim Angels the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, whatever they're called now. They've got Trout, they've got Rendon, they've got Shohei, and they've got the same position in October that I have, which is just watching. So they've not been able to put it together. So that's the danger when you sign too many guys out too long. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Padres sign another position player long-term. I would suggest they will not unless they can move one of their existing longer-term deals. And I think that they need to take a hard look at their pitching while people say, what a great rotation when you start naming out Musgrove and Darvish and Snell and Paddock and yada and yada and yada. I think what we learned is you can never have enough pitching and you can never have enough flexible pitching. Flexible pitching is what we called the Tampa Rays where you can have swing guys, guys who can give you multiple innings, multiple days in a row, guys who are throwing 98 interchangeable young guys where you don't even know their name, but you know your ability to scout and develop, and you get more out of that player than other teams normally would. And that's how teams like Tampa have been so successful. So Mm. I'm not sure that another big deal for the Padres is a smart move. They've got a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, Last one here. If they do, you know, get an outfielder, even if it's a shorter term deal, like you mentioned, you know, a Jock Peterson or a Jorge Soler, where do you see this team uh, stacking up, you know, in the National League going into spring training? I think it's safe to say that uh, the Padres will be mentioned among the teams who are expected to make the playoffs. I think you're going to see a regression by the Giants. I think the Padres are the second best team in the West behind the Dodgers. And the question is how they will do with other wild card hopefuls. I don't think they're good enough to win the division, although that will be their expectation. I think that they should certainly be more competitive than they were last year. But again, something about the team last year just didn't look right. There's a reason why they didn't win more games. And I've been a part of several 79 and 83 teams that were expected to do better. And the problem we had is we always said tomorrow, oh, this team can win 10 in a row tomorrow. This team is underperforming right now, but all we have to do is snap our fingers and they're going to start winning. And then all of a sudden it's July and then it's August and then it's September, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and all of a sudden you've been mathematically eliminated. And I believe that's what happened with the Padres last year. They fully expected the team they had together was enough to get it done, and clearly it wasn't. That doesn't mean by definition it will not be good enough in 22, because you just never know. Look no further than north of you in San Francisco, where they got career years from six guys, and they got some young pitchers stepping up like Logan Webb, and... They turned it into 107 wins. It snowballed. 
So good things can snowball, but so can bad things. So what I'm looking for out of the Padres, I think it's critical right around Memorial Day to look to see where they are, assuming that that's two months into a season, which it may not be, but assuming it is. But after 60 or so games, uh, you tend to see where you are. And the best presidents and GMs are the ones who are not delusional about where they are, and they accept where they are and then try to get better. Mm. This has been fun. Ben Fadden here with David Sampson, episode 88 of the Talking Fires podcast. Thank you so much, David, for joining. And until next time, let's go Padres.